This is episode number one, why you shouldn't be too quick to quit with environmentalist, adventurer and entrepreneur Ed Hewitt. Hi and welcome to the very first episode of the soon-to-be-named show. I'm Mark LaRoost, former overweight corporate dropout turned award-winning men's health activist, social entrepreneur, published author and certified life coach. And I'm here to teach you how to live life outside the box by taking action. Maybe you're thinking of changing jobs or you want to get in shape. Maybe you're keen as being to launch your own business or write a book. Or perhaps you're just eager to go off on an adventure. Either way, it can feel a little lonely at times, right? That's why I'm here to share with you a series of inspiring stories of people who've decided to live life outside the box and step off the conveyor belt. And I know it's not always easy to take action. In fact, I've been guilty as charged. That's right. I've been postponing recording, editing, and posting this episode for a very long time now. Why? Well, I want it to be perfect. I've been listening to so many great podcast shows lately that my quality standards were rocket high. Being a one-man band and having zero previous experience in recording podcasts, I just knew it'd be almost impossible for me to reach the quality standard that I really craved for. On top of that, I still still don't have a title for the show. So if you've got any recommendations you'd like to throw my way, please do get in touch. On top of that, I don't have a snazzy intro recorded for my podcast, and the quality of my first interview is far from ideal. But that's also exactly the point of the show, to show you that you can totally start before you feel ready, because I believe that through action comes clarity. But I'm pretty sure someone way smarter than me came up with that sentence first. But here's the deal. By taking a sneak peek into the unconventional playbook of people who've done just that, I hope to inspire you to stop talking about the very things that you really want to do and actually do something about it instead. Today's guest is Ed Hewitt, a guy who in 2013 decided to quit his corporate job to set off on an inventor to travel from Bangkok to Birmingham along the Silk Road by foot. That's right. This epic trip saw him travel 13,000 miles, or 20,900 kilometers if miles don't mean a thing to you like me, through 15 different countries, using 49 different forms of transport and took 228 days to complete. From hitchhiking with the Laos army to partying with pandas and finishing on a football pitch in front of 20,000 fellow wolf fans. Safe to say that Ed learned quite a lot along the way. But a word of warning though, the quality of the audio isn't great and I'm working on it. If you've got tips on how to increase the quality of how to record an interview over the internet, please do reach out to me, and I'll love you forever. But for now, it's time to learn from our very first unconventionalist. So, Ed, thanks for joining the podcast today. Hi, Mark. Thanks very much for having me. No, it's great. Uh, I know we've been trying to sort of schedule this, uh, and, and I had to sort of push back, so I appreciate you um, jumping back on board on Skype. And I just thought I'd, I'd get straight into it. So I checked out your website of Bangkok to Birmingham, which was in 2013. So tell us a bit more about how you came up with that idea. Well, I lived in Bangkok when I was 18, and um, I was there for six months, and that's where I'd first fallen in love with travel. And uh, I was born in Birmingham. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, this trip would kind of link the two. So when I was when I was eighteen, which is over ten years ago now, I'd always dreamed of how I could get back home without taking in, taking an aeroplane. And right. um, I was kind of plotting like the long way home. Yeah, exactly. Plotting out different routes, and I'm a geographer as well, so drawing lines on maps is particularly appealing to me. And um, <clears throat> I was kind of looking at all the different routes that I could take back then when I was 18. But I had the, you know, I had a place at university which I had to go to, so I never did it then. Sure. Um, anyway, so uh, 10 years later, and I was in a, uh, I was in a the corporate world and uh, going along merrily on my way, 28, and you kind of think. Uh, well, I could do this and get a house and get married, or I could go and do the thing which I'd always wanted to do since I was 18. So um, I decided to take the, the latter option and quit my job and um, went on this big adventure. <laughs> so there must have been a point where you must, must have thought like, okay, this is this is a crazy idea and, and probably come up with like 10,000 reasons why not to do them. What made you kind of actually take that step forward and go on the adventure? Um I started to read quite um, inspirational books and quotes and stuff, which um, really got my juices flowing and thought, you know, it will be okay. <laughs> uh, there was a really, uh, there was a really influential one called uh, the Four Hour Work Week. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, and um, and you know, and there was a chapter in that which is something like, "What's the worst that could happen?" and Basically, the worst that could happen really isn't worth not doing something. And mm. uh, that, was, that was very inspirational for me in that kind of mindset of, well, why the hell not? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, and then I, I, again, it sounds a bit cheesy. I came across a really great quote from another guy who was, for, who was actually recommended by Tim Ferriss um, called Rolf Potts. And he'd written this great book called Vagabonding, um, which was all about how you can. Um, have this kind of mini retirement break lifestyle. And um, he had this brilliant phrase, which was live your life richly rather than your life to get rich. Mm. Um, I just thought, yeah, that completely sums up what I'm about. And let's put that into practice. Yeah, beautiful. So you you went for nine months. And in a nutshell, how was the trip? (laughs) Rich. (laughs) Inexperiences. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, all the adjectives that you could kind of describe about life. I mean, thrilling, beautiful. Um, it was yet um, tiring, uh, thought-provoking, um, reflective. You know, it was it was all of these kind of mixture of emotions. It was. I mean, physically, it was, I didn't find it that difficult. Because mm. um, you did it all, so you did it all by land. Is that is that correct? So, so no airplanes. Yeah, no airplanes um, by land. So some hitchhiking in there. There was some, some walking in there. I walked the last leg from London to Wolverhampton, which is where I'm from, via Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, there was some donkey riding. <laughs> there was 51 different forms of non-flying transport, um, and I was trying to, and I was staying with local people for as much of the time as possible. So over 50 percent of nights, I was couch surfing or staying in a barn or a sofa or something. Do you, do you, do you remember? Do you remember roughly how much you spent? Like, what was the budget for the trip? Um, well, it was less than I was paying in rent in London. 
Wow. Um, so I spent uh, in total for those eight and a half months that I was away. Then I spent in that time on everything. So that was um, total costs, including the the flight out to Bangkok, sure. to the the journey insurance, um, buying equipment like um, bags and cameras and stuff, um, and then all my expenses whilst I was away. The whole thing. Um, totaled less than I was would have spent on rent alone in London in that time. Wow! Um, so uh, so worth it. Yeah. So um, so. And, and, and what was the what was the worst thing that happened? Um, I mean, I was I was fortunate in terms of nothing uh, nothing really. Had happened as I didn't break anything, or I wasn't violently ill anywhere, or anything like that. I mean, it's one of some of the times when I thought this could potentially go wrong. Um, was I, I took a, um, I was hitchhiking in Laos, and uh, I stopped this truck to um, to go by, and uh, when I when I got on the back of this truck. I realised that I'd managed to hitch a ride with either the real official army or the kind of revolutionary guard. <laughs> <laughs> either way, I was going along in the back of this truck with a load of guys and their AK-47s. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and you must have thought, this is going to be great content for my next blog post. <laughs> it was good content for my next blog post. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the guys were—they uh, were—they were very friendly, and we—I um, mean, well, I'm sure that us all the travellers know listening out there that uh, I mean, there's a lot of countries that you go through where you can't really speak much the language. Laos being one of those, and um, but uh, you know, you can get by by hand gestures and smiling and pointing at their gun and going, oh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, it, is it loaded? Ha, ha, ha. Yes, yes, uh, yes, it is. And so, so I saw that on your way back that, you know, you, you got some mentions in, in, in some media and, and you actually got to meet Michael Palin. Is, is that right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, well, Michael Palin, um, I met him beforehand because I told him about the journey and I was inspired by him. And um, he uh, he agreed to meet me beforehand. And uh, at, the, at the time, I was... Um, looking at another project uh, which was kind of went hand in hand with the Bangkok to Birmingham thing. Um, Dromaniacs? Dromomaniacs, yeah. Dromomaniacs, that's it. Your um, question there is the exact reason why it, I, I think it didn't really ever take uh, <laughs> No one could pronounce the bloody name. Um, <laughs> but actually, it's a really, really great word. And the word means um, those who are addicted to travel. Um, and mm. got the word because it's in the first, it's on the, in the first paragraph of Michael Palin's book Around the World in Eighty Days, and um, in that paragraph he says there's a little known word called dromomania, and I am proud to be a dromomaniac. Um, and I thought that's a really cool word, um, and no one uses it. Um, but obviously now I've realized there's probably a reason why no one uses it. <laughs> difficult to say. And <laughs> well, I mean, I'm dyslexic, so you're yeah. just screwed from get-go. Like, if you're going to put a word like that that has more than two syllables, I'm out. <laughs> but it means uh, it, it, it's got the same uh, derivation as the word dromedary camel, um, and mm. it means running. Dromo, dromo, dromos in Greek, in ancient Greek, means the running or a runner. So a dromomaniac is someone who is 
continually running. Um, Got it. And what, so, what was that? Was that that was kind of a was that a kind of a travel? Yeah, it was a travel. It was a travel group. Um, the idea was it was a travel society. It was essentially um, an attempt at uh, kind of recreating the Royal Geographical Society for a younger, more diverse group of people. Got it. And so, when did you decide that? Okay, well, this is the end of the journey. Bangkok to Birmingham's over. Uh, Dromomaniacs is not kind of picking up. Yeah. When did you then get to the idea of World in London? Yeah, so I, I think that... And, Dr- and, and, t- and tell us a bit more about World in London for those who actually have no idea what World in London is. So, first of all, World in London is all about travelling the world without leaving London. Um, and I'll come to you a bit more about exactly what it is that we do in a moment. Um <laughs> But during the trip, I kind of began to question whether this drama maniacs, this idea of continual travel, um, was actually what I wanted in my own life and what I wanted to promote uh, for others. Mm. Um, Don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed the trip, but I I said that one of those adjectives, apart from thrilling and all that stuff, was also thought-provoking. And um, I began to question whether continually traveling was a the thing that i wanted to do and b was actually a really good way to see the world um the issue with going away on these very long uh, adventures uh, for a long period of time across lots of different countries is that even though it's broadly um, falls within the scope of what you term slow travel um, it's actually anything but mm. and you're going through countries and cultures so quickly really um that it's difficult to really get a true um understanding or any depth in any particular one of them right as opposed so. to like when you when you said it when you when you lived in in bangkok for a little yeah. while and and, I, and i've yeah. lived in probably 10 countries across you know four continents and spent anything between four to six months to a year to three years and i can definitely vouch for that that there's a yeah. big difference between staying there for a few months as opposed to traveling through huge difference and i began to kind of reflect on all my previous travel experiences and what i really really enjoyed and, I, and actually i came to that conclusion that um it wasn't necessarily the times when i'd just been on the road all the time it was the times when i'd been in a new place in a new culture but actually lived there for a few months mm. um, and I mean, actually, my favorite month on my trip was the one month that I stayed still, which was in Beijing. Um, and, you know, I got to know some people there and yeah. got to know the city a bit more. And um, I think that if I was going to do a big um, adventure again, or it, it would be just to one place for a period of time. Um, and then, you know, you can work from around that place. You can do a project out of that place. Um, there's, there's a guy, um, and, and his, his name is escaping me. I, I, I found him out through the guys that behind The Minimalists. And he basically, I think he, what he does is that he spends four months in a country and then lets his readers of his blog decide what's the next country he's going to go to yeah, visit. I think that's a really, really cool idea. Really cool. And, um, yeah, I, I, if, if I think that's that's I got a lot going for it, and um, I mean it's kind of more unusual than you know, somebody else who's going off around the world, which I thought that I was in danger of being, and uh, I've got a lot of um, a lot of time for that. 
brilliant. So, so, you, so you come back. So you, um, you, you, yeah, kind, so of, you kind of realized that you had this kind of like realization that, you know, maybe this is, which is great, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, massive advocate of you've got to start somewhere to realize if it's for you or not but contemplating it from your you know bedroom is not going to help you so i think it's it's amazing that you actually went on that adventure and that's how you realized or actually questioned is this what i really want to do yeah and that then made me question what i then want to do when i got back and as i said i basically quit my job with the idea of doing this trip and then launching drama maniacs into a global traveling phenomena of people who wanted to swan off around the world um and i realized that wasn't really what i wanted to do <laughs> so despite the kind of michael palin endorsement all of that stuff i thought no actually i don't want to do this mm. um, but i still do love experiencing new cultures and um I thought, you know, is there a way that you can kind of continue this travel, you know, the, all the fantastic things about travel in terms of the food, the meeting the new people, mm-hmm. um, but actually stay in one place. <laughs> so that's when I got the idea of World in London. Um, and um, with that, I, I kind of thought back to some of the things I'd done around London and to prepare for my big overland journey i'd um, actually spent a month couch surfing around my own city before i started around around london oh really wow i wanted to do a, a load of couch surfing whilst i was on the journey and i thought that um starting off in the city where i lived and worked would be a good way to do that um and actually as I was on the journey and reflected on that month that I spent couch surfing around London, I began to realize that that was actually the the month which I'd arguably enjoyed the most out of the whole journey. And that's not to say that the journey wasn't fantastic, because it was. It was just that this month spent couch surfing and seeing your own city from a new perspective. Um, but uh, uh, not- more enriching. Um, have you not noticed that? That like so this is this is the most fascinating thing. I find that so I know more about other cities that I've explored around the world than I do about either Paris because I'm half French, half half, yeah. half Welsh, or, or or London. You know, it's yeah. like and and it's like yeah. we live in a city we forget. Like I know people who've never been, for example, I don't know, to you know the, the t- London Towers, or they've never been yeah. to um, Hampstead Heath, or whatever. Yeah. You know. Well, I just think it's mad that when you go to a new city, you go and, you know, and you, um, you know, try all the new things at the different restaurants and you go to these fantastic religious buildings, despite the fact you're probably not interested in religion at all. Um, and, um, you know, you're up for meeting people, you're in discovery mode. And when you get back to your own place, you kind of shut off from that. You go, oh, no, that's just something for the tourists. But actually, there's a reason why London is the most popular um, tourist city in the world. It's because it's got some damn amazing things. And also, I mean, beyond the obvious things, then it's got this wealth of different um, cultures. And I... With London being such a multicultural city, I began to think, well, actually, I love meeting new people. I love um, discovering different cultures. But how often do we actually do that uh, in London? And what I mean by that is how, how do we really you know, get to get under the skin of all the different cultures around us? How do we really make the most of this opportunity? Um, because, you know, we, we can all go down to the – and have a – kebab from the Turkish shop um, 
but do we really understand much about the uh, the people living the around culture, us, yeah. cultures, about why people are, are here? And I, I think that, I mean, that this absolutely wasn't a politically motivated project at all to begin with. Um, but as I learned more and more about it, I thought that you know, this can have massive social benefits as well in terms of uh, bringing people together and making them uh, understand more about one another's cultures. Sure. Um, and this whole idea of just seeing your own city differently, being a tourist in your own city, that was, for me, that idea was much more niche and much more powerful than just being a tourist, full yeah. stop. No, I love it. I love it. I think it's such a brilliant idea, especially since, you know, I'm completely guilty of that, that, you know, I live, I live in London and yet I only get to explore London when either my girlfriend comes in town or my mum comes to visit and we get to go and do all the cultural stuff. Otherwise, uh, you know, I just, you know, I do my commute to work. I come back, I work on my projects, I do my thing. You know, especially yeah. living in Hackney, we're, we're all super guilty that anything that involves getting out of East London, we just think it's a nightmare because we're in the, you know, shithole of public transport. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, I think that's great. So, and I saw that you did, you tried to do a crowdfunding campaign. So tell me a bit more about that. I saw that you, was your original goal to raise 15,000 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you fell short 5,000 pounds. Yeah. So... Basically, the last year has all been about testing, um, testing whether this idea of traveling the world in your own London, first of all, what exactly that is. So mm -hmm. um, there's a number of things it could be, but what actually is that from a company and business perspective? And then what is the demand for that? Um, so the last year has been a number of experiments, really, to um, find out, first of all, what the, what the right thing to do is from a, turning it into a business and then... Yeah, to check the to, to test the demand. So the crowdfunding campaign, it wasn't really about raising the money, um, because the first thing that we'd have done if we'd have had a successful campaign was gone to angel investors um, to get more because we needed significantly more than fifteen thousand. Mm. Um, it was more of a test of could we get um, any interest? Like, could we get five hundred more than five hundred people uh, chipping in a certain amount? Mm. Um, which was which was more of the actual kind of acid test of that rather than the fifteen thousand um, pounds, and so just to sort of go slightly back up the, uh, the this initially there was a load of testing done as to okay is this a business which is a large events business or is it a small scale bespoke experience business. Mm -hmm. Or is it, as we conclude in the end, going to be an app, which is finding the best things from around multicultural London, which are already going on, whether they be concerts or whether they be uh, uh, yeah, got like like a white like a Y plan exactly or, like a multicultural yeah. Y plan. Mm. Um, and then the idea with that was is that we have um, we make it more you know, much more focused on Y plan because it's on a country by country basis. Sure. Um, and then we added a little game to it, which is with a passport, and you go around the world uh, collecting stamps mm. um, as you go to the different countries uh, in London and experience different things. Um, so the, the we basically chose that because, um, from a business perspective, creating all your own experiences was a very, very tough and not a very scalable thing to do. Mm. Um, so that's why we um, kind of arrived at this app idea, um, which was, must admit, heavily inspired by Yplan. 
Um, mm. And then we wanted to crowdfund it to really test whether enough people wanted this. Because when you go to an app-based business model, which is a business-to-consumer business, um, you and you're tapping into things which are already going on, that means that you're a commission-based business, so you need a huge volume of traffic. Sure. Um, and with the crowdfunding campaign, we wanted to see if we could re- what the costs were of accessing a huge number of people and how difficult or easy yeah. it was to do that. Got it. What we found was that we could access um, a few, a few hundred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we couldn't access the... Um, the numbers that we were really hoping for. Mm. So, so what, what, what was the lesson in that? Um, well, I think the lesson in that is that, uh, you know, well, first of all, the people, people will tell you it's this great idea. That doesn't necessarily make it a great business. Mm. Um, and I think secondly, crowdfunding, uh, the lesson to that is, is, is that it's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, right, because so many people have got this idea of like, oh, I've got this great idea, it's going to be great, I'm just going to put it on like on Kickstarter and then I'm going to raise yeah. half a million. Well, that just, I mean, from the, the vast majority of times that doesn't happen. Um, and trying to, because now Kickstarter and um, Indiegogo and Crowdfunder, the one I use, they're all full of projects, really, really good projects. So we got zero people um, who were from the platform. Um, people are not just lurking around on these platforms looking to invest in something. It's not, it's not, it's not like a crowdfunding Facebook where you just scroll down and just kind of like pick. It's more like you get directed to, is that what you mean? You need to get directed to it, yeah. Mm. So, and you need to drive your own traffic. Got it. And the conversion ratios were just really eye-opening. <laughs> mm, brilliant. So, uh, and so, so, so where is it today then? Where, where's the project at today? So... We think there's definitely something in it. I mean, we've had too much good feedback to completely give up on it. And I genuinely think that it can play a really important role in terms of bringing communities together as well. Um, so right now we're looking to find a, an organization um, and a person who can take it on as a not-for-profit uh, entity. So... Uh, come to the conclusion, really, of the last year, it's not going to work as a uh, large, scalable, commercially viable business right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want it to be uh, to tap into some funding and hopefully to find a home uh, for it. So there's a number of negotiations and talks which were going on at the moment as to where that might be. So um, I can't reveal them sure. now, but, uh, <laughs> anybody is, if anybody is listening and um, interested, interested in, yeah. uh, then please do get in touch. So, so, so if, you're listening, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're kind of keen to get your fingers into a sort of social enterprise slash startup who's trying to bring a change and actually turn yourself into a tourist in your own city, then make sure you get in touch with Ed. Ed, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, well, they can go to the World in London website, which is www.worldinlondon.co.uk, um, or they can email me, ed at worldinlondon.co.uk, or Twitter at worldinlon. Brilliant. Okay, we'll make sure. So we're just going to wrap it up, and I want to know where you are today then. So I know there's some exciting project in the pipeline. Can you talk to us about that? Uh, yeah, so again, after a year, so I've been two years without a salary now. 
um, since I left my corporate job, and um, I basically run out of money. <laughs> um, so I decided that I need to go back into the salaried world, and there's no shame in that. And what that's really opened my eyes to is that uh, just because it's a salaried job and working for somebody else doesn't mean that it can't be cool <laughs> or um, can't be uh, something which is really, really worthy. I think that I got slightly hung up on the idea that I needed to create my own thing for it to be worthwhile or fun or true to escaping the city. Um, but now I'm much more comfortable actually with the fact that my salary is going to depend on someone else. Mm. Yeah. So, you, you're ready, you're, you're ready to take off that pressure and, and yeah, kind of know and, that you can, yeah. And, you, and it is a hell of a lot of pressure. And I would say to anybody who is thinking about doing that, then really make sure you're prepared for the pressure, um, of, uh, having your project or your business being your source of income mm. and if you can get some other source of income um, on the side then that's really a really great thing to do and that then takes the pressure off the financial burden um, of any projects and you can actually put the fun back into it because I th actually I think that towards the end of last year with the world in London I was um, burnt out burnt out and also beginning to kind of resent the fact mm. that it came down to how the hell was I going to make this pay me let alone into a scalable business and that's so common you know it's so common that people end up you know they start off by chasing something that really excites them whatever you want to call it their passion their their purpose whatever and then before you know it that very thing that they started loving becomes the thing that they resent the most because they feel like yeah. they're not getting anywhere they feel like they, they're stuck they feel like they're not making an income they they don't have any personal boundaries so they start mixing work life but all the time and before you know it, that's it. Yeah, they, they just they yeah. just want to move on. No, so, what, 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 so what would you say to someone who's in that stage right now? Um, well, I, I think that, first of all, I would say build up your own project as much as you can from within your salaried job. Mm. Um, don't quit too early um, because then you introduce this financial pressure, which I said is not pleasant. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be the number one piece of advice. And uh, the number two piece of advice is that you don't have to start your own thing. Um, you can join somebody else's um, or you can join a great idea that's already got some funding behind it. Um, and that's just as cool and just as rewarding. Um, I mean, in terms of people who have already started their uh, their businesses, um, then again, I think that you've got to try and test, 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 and try and work out as soon as possible um, if this really is going to be commercially viable, or if you need to um, perhaps take it down a different route, like a not-for-profit route, which obviously then opens doors to other sorts of uh, funding opportunities. Sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, a crowdfunding campaign is a great way of testing that with a large number of people and kind of doing a, a mini launch, if you like. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's almost kind of you're validating your idea. I mean, you know, there's 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 some great concepts out there. I mean, I love like when I work with with clients, you know, I always say like, don't worry about scalability right now. Like, don't worry about that. Like, just get your first paying customer and just test your idea. And then, you know, if you look at most of massive, I mean, I know I know there's this big trend these days of like. You need to have something that's scalable in order to attract investors and all that stuff. But I think we get so caught up with that that then people get completely blocked in the first steps. So it's like I'll give you an I'll give you an idea. I had this idea once that I wanted to get people to to meet up um, who 
tend to spend a lot of time on their own. So people who run their own businesses, uh, people who are trying to run their own businesses and to exercise and at the same time discover a new part of London. So I had this idea and I got really bogged down about, you know, is it scalable or not? But then all I did is I sent an email to a few people saying, hey, this is the idea. If you want to come, it's like 10 pounds a ticket. PayPal me this, this amount, blah, blah, blah. I ended up getting like three or four people signing up. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be the next Facebook. But what that meant is that there and then I knew that there was maybe something around that. And then if you've got the will and the energy to, to develop that and see if there's anything out of it, then, then great. I just, di- I just didn't. I kind of pulled it, pulled the plug after a while. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it's an amazing, amazing insight that you have about kind of don't be too quick to quit. You know, yeah, I mean, with, yeah. yeah go, go, go for it. Yeah, the thing with what you just said there, Mark, is that Imagine if you'd had that idea and you were you're in your job and you're dreaming of that idea and you thought, right, this is it, this is it, this fitness for people who are by themselves is 100% going to be my idea. And then you quit <laughs> your job to do that. Yeah. Um, then you'd have been then for the next six months to a year so stressed out all the time about yeah. Um, yeah. is this going to make any money or not? Is this going to make any Absolutely. money or not? But by launching it from the comfort of presumably a uh, salaried position elsewhere, you were able to test it on the side before making the leap to this is the thing which is going to define me or is going to make me my millions. Yeah, I think Richard Reed talks about that a lot about, you know, if you don't have the energy and motivation to try and start your business on the side of your job, you'll never have what it takes to sort of run it full time and make it succeed. You know, yeah. if, you, if you're not willing to get up early in the morning or get, or get home late at night and work on it or work on the weekends, then, you know, you've got to ask yourself a different, a, a different question. Um, and what would you say to someone who would want to counter argue and say, well, the only way that this is going to happen is if I focus 100% on it. So I need to quit my job. Yeah. Well, I was like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. So sh- share your experience on that. Uh so I, I, I was doing two for a while. I was I was in my previous corporate job, and I was doing. So, by what, the, what, what what was your corporate job, if I can ask? <clears throat> uh, it was working for a large energy company um, on their uh, renewable energy side of the business. Right. Uh, so that, that's why you talk. That's why you write a lot about environmental impact on, on yeah. your on your blog. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And um, leaving that was a combination of wanting to go and do my own thing, but also. Um, a uh, yeah, I, I was getting to the end of my tether with the um, company's uh, big statements and lack of action in the mm. uh, low carbon space. Um, anyway, um, putting that to one side, I yeah, so I, I started off drummer maniacs as it was then. I was doing both of those things. I had my um, yeah, I went to my corporate job by day, and then by night, I was going to a co working space around the corner. So, um, to do drama maniacs and i kind of thought this is this is really tough i need to do one or the other mm. and, um so i i left my corporate job and in hindsight that was definitely too early mm. um, i hadn't tested well i hadn't tested the drama maniacs idea enough and i hadn't tested myself whether i really wanted it because as then the issue was that i then went on my journey and then i changed my idea <laughs> Got it. so i changed my idea to start a new business show which was world in london but without the safety net of a salary job behind me. Um, yeah. so 
so, so is that is that is that the lesson that you would have told stuff. your younger self? Like just hang in tight, fine tune the idea before you quit your job. Yeah, yeah, and don't take for granted. A sal- I mean, salary jobs are good, and um, I, I was I was in a very very fortunate position beforehand where I had a, a, a decent, well paying job, and it also gave me enough time to go to that co-working space after work um, and work on my other project. Um, and uh, and I, yeah, that, that is a good position to be in to test and, um, and not to jump ship too, too soon. And mm. Although, having said that, having said all of that, when it came to finding a job after two years out, um, I didn't have any problems. Right. But do, so do, do you have any regrets? Um, no, I think I've tried. No, mm. no. I, have any, I don't have any regrets. Um, there's definitely things I would have done differently with the, sure. with the business. Um, but in terms of the whole process of um, leaving, that, leaving that job um, and having this experience, then... Um, no, I got no regrets at the moment of that. Let's see. In um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe the next person who who picks up World in London and takes it to be the global World in brand, which I'd hope for, with World in New York and World in Melbourne and World in Beijing, um, and takes it into that global brand, and I see them with all that <laughs> success and. Yeah. Cre- and everything and, and I think oh well that was sort of me but you actually touch a really a really interesting point which is the founders complex which is around sometimes people um, and, I, and I know this in my personal entourage of people I know who, who kind of realize that they might not be the right person to take the project where it needs to be where it needs yeah. to go and that they're actually okay with that they go I think it's a brilliant idea and I think I love it so much that I know that somebody else needs to come in and take it to the next level and maybe do what I haven't been able to do. But that doesn't mean, you know, yeah. I'm less worthy or that I'm insignificant. It just means that that's what this project needs. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, I mean, if World in London or world, the world in brand is going to be a success, it needs, it's a technology project and it needs a technology guru to, um, uh, to really take it forward. And actually, that's, that was another realization that um, even though I love travel and new cultures and stuff, what this came down to to make it into a scalable business was a technology play. And I didn't yeah, really yeah. know that much about technology. It always uh, is though, isn't it? That, 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 that's it's often the developers and, and, yeah. and coders are like the most sought after co-founders because yeah. they're the guys who are going to basically do all the heavy lifting at the start of, at the, start of the business. And, and if I'm really honest with myself, the technology and the online marketing side of things, I don't really enjoy. Hmm. Which is why, which is why I've gone back now into getting a job in environmental issues, which I really am passionate about. Um. <laughs> you know, it's and actually it's a beautiful way to, to to finish off this interview because it's like this. I feel like this, you went on this amazing journey, that it's almost like you know you went full circle of like you went on this journey to, to kind of you weren't very happy in the corporate job that you were, even though it was in a field that you were interested in. You went on this literally this yeah. adventure, going off, you know, going from you know Bangkok to Birmingham. And on the way there, discovered that you wanted to do this, did this project, went for it. And now you're kind of like, you're coming back to a job environment, but you're actually at a different, I feel like you're at a different stage or like at a different place. And it's amazing. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm much more comfortable now with um, being back in a in a salary job, um, and you know what it's taken me as well full circle is to so I'm, there's still that theme of environmental issues, but rather it's now taken me into a place where before I was working for a organisation which um, wasn't it wasn't really at the core um, of their mission to now one where it is totally and utterly at the core, and um, I'm starting next week and I hope that I'm going to be very happy there. Brilliant. Ed, uh, you know, wish you all the best. I just want to ask you one thing. What are, what are you grateful for today? <laughs> I'm grateful for the fact that I have a great relationship with my parents and I'm going on my first family holiday with them in about 10 years. <laughs> that, that's amazing. Ed, thank you so much. I'll be sure to link all the social media and all the ways to get in touch with you. Um, and I just wanted to say, you know, Massive, massive thanks for being honest and opening up about what a lot of people might hold back of, which were the key lessons on your journey and where you're at today. And I have no doubt that the organization you'll be joining on Monday uh, will be an amazing, uh, amazing journey. And if, if, it, if it's anything to live by, I have no doubt that world in London will continue to grow. And it's all thanks to you who planted the seed. Yeah, let's hope so. Thanks, for, Mark. Thanks, Ed. All right. Bye for now. Cheers. So there you have it, folks. Ed's words of advice. Make sure to build your project as much as possible before packing in your job. You can find out more about Ed's epic adventure at www.bangkok2birmingham.com and that's two as in the number two. And to find out more about his startup, World in London, go to www.worldinlondon.co.uk. I'd love to hear what you got out of today's episode. So make sure to pop on over at the website at www.markderoos.com forward slash one and leave your comments below the podcast. You can always find me on Twitter at Mark LaRoost or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Mark LaRoost. Special thanks to Anna McNuff, who's currently running the length of New Zealand and who was the one who introduced me to Ed Hewitt. This episode was edited by Simon Barron. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. For now, it's time to take action.